0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. We are getting awfully close to the end of the year. It's December 7th. And my good friend Richard Harris is here with me, as always. And we are brought to you by some of our amazing friends and sponsors. Richard, help me out if I don't get all of these right. Reprise, Vidyard, Alice, Aspireship. Outreach.
1: Outreach. And there's one more that I can't remember yeah, at the moment. It's Reggie. It's our good friend Reggie. Reggie who, That's right. That's we're doing right. a live bonfire session with next week. So, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So, we've,
0: we thank them. Check them out. Get your 2022 started off strong. And we're here with uh, somebody who I've come to know a little bit this year. I've enjoyed getting to know her, have partnered with her a little bit for some things on Thursday night sales. And it's Zoe Hartsfield. Community manager and what else at Dooley?
2: Partnerships.
0: Partnerships and community manager at Dooley. See, we're in the afternoon here and my brain is starting to falter, Richard. I'm going to need you to really help.
1: Yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Zoe, I'm sorry for Scott's complete unprofessionalness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, when we were off camera, she was like, I promise not to say anything dumb. And I was thinking, well, I for sure will say something dumb (laughs) to take the pressure off of you. So here we are. We're thirty seconds into the show, and you know I've already said a few dumb things. So off we go.
2: For the record, I said I will try not to say anything dumb. I don't know oh, that I true. can make that promise. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't
0: you tell everybody what the heck a partnerships and community manager does and what that means, uh, so people have a basis of, of where you know all your insight and wisdom comes from.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know that we call it wisdom, but my insight comes from. Uh, Spending time really investing in communities and partnerships, which is is literally the title. So the partnerships aspect of my job is finding interesting ways to partner and create win-win scenarios with other brands or individuals, whether that's via content, whether that's a brand play, whether it's events or in like more of a channel and referral capacity. I am managing those relationships uh, to the best of my ability, and bringing on new people all of the time to help further what we're doing it dually and and hopefully help our partners further what they're doing as well. The community aspect of my job makes it really fun because I get to do things with existing communities. There's there's a lot of ways to approach community. You could establish your own proprietary community, or you could engage in communities that already exist. So I get to manage those relationships where we sponsor multiple communities where our ICP and economic buyer live. And I get to work with the founders of those communities like Scott uh, and try and create interesting experiences and brand awareness there so that we can drive more people uh, to Duly.
0: A lot of different comments and questions. Number one, Richard. Back in your day, this role was called channel sales, yes, or channel manager, right? Uh,
1: yes, and no, there was not so much the community aspect of it, it was just considered channel, yeah. And um, the creative parts of channel were much harder to, to get people to spend money on. Where I feel like in today's world, they can, where um, I think there's more opportunities and avenues for it, and people are open to it. Did you hear that, <laughs> Zoe?
0: He just said your job is way easier
1: now than it used to be
0: <laughs> back in the day.
2: Man, that makes me sad because I feel like it's hard. So like I should probably be better at it. Well, I
1: also I also think there's a lot of noise around it. Like there's a lot of people who've aggressively gotten into this and understand it. And um and that makes it an interesting place. I also think in the little kingdom we all live in in this sales world um, you know, we tend to move faster than sort of the traditional world. So I, I feel like that's what's happening too. So, um, and I think last year accelerated it and everybody threw everything they could against the wall. Um, and only some stuck and some didn't, and some are coming. Okay. So,
0: so let's talk about that a little bit. How, how do you evaluate? So let's just assume that Dooley threw a bunch of things against the wall. Zoe threw a bunch of things that went against the wall. What stuck? What will continue on in 2022 and what kind of new creative things are out there that you might want to explore that maybe nobody's doing yet?
2: Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot to unpack there. And, and to your point, Richard, I think really what I do is almost like two different roles and we just found a way to like meld them together. So I have a little bit of a sales capacity in my role community used to be I say used to, it's not really like a role that's been around for the last 20 years. It's, it's come about probably in the last decade more heavily. Um, but community used to be more of a retention play. It was like a way to get customers to stay engaged uh, within a company or within a category. And now I see community moving way more towards the growth arm of things. And it's an acquisition play. So the things that we tried at Dooley was invest in a bunch of communities and see which ones work. Well, that kind of works, but then you're spread a little bit thin and you can't fully invest in every community. So um, one thing that I think is really interesting is because there are a lot of communities, because community is so hot right now, people are stopping the building of proprietary communities and finding communities like Surf and sales, Thursday night sales, uh, Scotty's little sales club, those sorts of things and and investing in the places where their ICP and economic buyer already live. We don't necessarily need another sales community to be effective, but can we jump into the places where our people are spending time and invest resource and brand and develop awareness and an affinity around who we are to build those relationships and start those conversations. So I think we're going to see more of that in 2022. I think we're going to see a little bit less of the, let's build a proprietary community and a little bit more of who are the players in the game right now who have great engagement? How can we show up in an interesting way and stand out and, and bring people and awareness of our brand that way?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So it sounds like the first round has already been built, right? So now you've got now, now as someone in your role, well, I don't know to get, need to go recreate the community. I need to go find the ones that are ideal for me.
2: I think it, I think it goes both ways. I, I would say to start, that would be if I was like starting at a new company tomorrow and they were like, Zoe, build me a community. I would say, no, (laughs) let's go invest in communities that already exist. Let's find the gaps. And then if we see a big enough gap, create a community around that. I think of, um, you know, Thursday night sales born out of the pandemic, born out of a need for people to come together and, uh, spend time together. Like it's a happy hour. Other communities weren't doing that at the time. And now it's, it's thriving. So can we find a gap in the community within the category, uh, that exists and create a community to fill that? Because it's the same thing with sales. It's like, you don't just create, like create a product to create a product. You create a product because there's a problem that you're trying to solve. I don't think you create a community to create a community, You create one because there's a gap in the space when people need a sense of connection and belonging, can we rally around a problem? Can we rally around an idea and do something interesting that no one else is doing?
1: What, what stands out in a good community to you, right? If you think about them, aside from, you know, the not the ICP side, but the human aspect of it, right? Because now there are a lot of them. There's a lot of places people could spend their time.
2: Totally. Um, for me, it's the engagement, like you can have 20,000 people in your community and if Whatever channel they decide to live in, whether it's Slack, whether it's Patreon, whether it's something else. If it's Crickets, I don't want to. I don't have the time there. My Slack oh. channels, I have like seventeen of them on the side of my Slack that I talk. Oh my
1: god, Scott! It's could horrible. you imagine?
2: <laughs> it's horrible. So like, you just walked off
1: the screen. I think he's going like, like, to up.
2: Um, yeah, like I think um, engagement is what what really marks a, a good community, and I think it's a spread of thought leadership. And people looking to learn. If everybody is a leader and there's a bunch of egos and everybody's trying to like get their voice out there, I don't want to be a part of that. If no one knows what they're doing and we're all just asking questions and no one's able to answer it, I don't want to be a part of that either. It's that balance of thought leadership and people coming to learn and grow together. And can we collaborate and engage together? Uh, So really, it's the, the engagement for me. I've been in groups uh, I'm in a community of 400 people that I like and spend a lot more time in than a community of 20,000 people that I'm also a part of. So, right. you know, goes both ways.
1: Yep. What kind of engagement looks good in a community? Like, and, and it's got to matter, right? Because your level of engagement might be different than someone who's in Scotty's sales club and even someone different than modern than um, Thursday night sales. So like, what do you think that level of, of engagement looks like or good engagement is?
2: Yeah, I think it's a couple different things. So it's definitely a percentage, I would say, you know, of your members who is chiming into the conversations, whether that's a Slack channel, whether it's in the chat on a live, um, you know, happy hour or webinar, are people asking questions, are people showing up, are people opening the newsletter? I think communities try and go after a lot of different avenues within community. And one thing I've seen people do is like, we're going to do it all at once from the jump and they haven't figured out any one thing first, like, can you figure out the live events? Then can you figure out the Slack channel? Then can you figure out a newsletter versus try and do it everything all at once and do all of it terribly? Will
1: you, will you say that again for people? Repeat that, because I think people want to stop and write that down. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, don't do it all at once. Don't try it, like, figure out the one thing, do it well, and then add on to it. If you try and do everything from the jump, it's just going to be a mess.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. What are the mistakes you see people making in the community aside from trying to do it all at once?
2: Um, I think circling back to creating a community for the sake of a community. Community is hot right now. People are interested in it. People are like, I, I get hit up. This is not because I'm good at my job. It's just because I have a unique title. Uh, I get hit up all the time by people being like, do you want to come build a community at XYZ company? And I'm like, no, because like we don't even know if there are communities in your space right now that are doing well or did, right. is the problem already solved? So I think first of all, people need to to know. sounds like she's
1: are. got a side hustle, Scott. She's not pursuing. She's <laughs> She's uh,
0: trying to get really good at one thing first, Richard. Didn't you hear what she said? <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm trying to be good at my job before I have nine other jobs. I like, I don't know. I, I, yeah, someday we're not there yet. Um, on yeah. the, uh,
0: up to pivot, let me pivot out of this for a second. On the, on the partnership side of things, I think a lot of people who maybe run communities or um, are partnering with vendors like a and so forth a good partner is maybe somebody who just cuts the check on time, right? Yeah. From the opposite end, how do you evaluate whether somebody is a good partner? Like if you're working with surf and sales, how did Richard and I show up and be a good partner to Dually?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. For me, partnerships is all about creating win-win scenarios. I think if partners want to come in and they're like, we have this cookie cutter process. We do not deviate, take it or leave it. Like, that's like a hard one for me because what one company may want as their deliverables as their ROI might be different than another one, but could still be a great partner, um, which makes it a little bit tough for the communities because then they have to do things like a little bit more a la carte. But I like to say like, can we order off menu? The, those are those are the partners I like to work with are the ones where it's like, hey, can I trade these three webinars for an in-person happy hour uh, with one of my thought leaders and one of your thought leaders? Can we do something a little bit different with the, um, you know, incentive or the offer this week? Can we do something exciting? Do you want to do a contest with us? And really the way that I approach it is I want to bring more value to the community. I never want to just be taking away and asking for more things, but I do like working with community leaders or partners who are willing to get a little bit creative, who are willing to go, a little off script yeah because otherwise if you've uh, people everybody's doing the exact same thing then even the members are going to get bored after a while
0: okay devil's advocate here though because this is what richard says to me all the time and drives me nuts yep richard says all sponsors care about is emails is email addresses and leads that's it they don't care about anything else True I never not
1: anything else i said it's the most important thing
0: ah okay fine
1: he says the most important thing,
0: but he does say all the time, all sponsors care about is emails. Yes. True or false.
2: False. I or, like elaborate. Okay. This, I don't know if I'm gonna get myself in trouble for saying this. I haven't touched the email list from uh TNS. We have not sent a single email or Did you hear that,
0: Richard. I just want to make sure Richard is listening to this exact part. Yeah. Explain now, explain, explain why. Richard's captivated audience here
2: because like it's it's not like a lead like it's not a good it's not a lead yet you know it's just an email address so well, that's because it's, that? it's a
1: very different type of lead
2: it is, it is and it's like sure what like do we have them banked somewhere yes would we do something with them in the future maybe but for now it's it's community is a brand play it can be an acquisition play. It can well, be I, it
1: can't it can't be an acquisition play if you're not doing anything with the emails.
2: I don't know. I think it we, could be I think
1: someone's it, gonna be like, hey, I remember that from Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, it takes more than that. I'm gonna push you on this one.
2: Okay, okay. I'm I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about like user generated content. So it's almost like one step removed. Can I get one of my users who's involved in a community that we sponsor to shout us out? And then attract somebody from that community who's seen us show up in the community, who's seen a user now refer us, and then have them reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or one of my BDRs or go to a page or click on a link. There's, a lot, of,
1: there's, a, there's a lot of fog in there to get through.
2: I mean, it's definitely the, the the tracking of the acquisition channel is truly a nightmare within community and partnerships. It is one of the worst attribution I I should say is like my the bane of my existence
0: and why why is that is that because nobody can agree upon like what's a good lead or is it because there's no proper tool or is this like a new metric that has never existed before like why is it so hard
2: it, I think it's a combination of, of tools and internal alignment around, uh, mostly I would put it to tools. It's like, all right, did this person like find us on a website and then see us in a community? Like what happened first, the chicken or the egg? And who started the conversation? What,
1: here's what I think it is. Nobody wants to do the work. Nobody wants to I, sit down and do the work. It's not, it's not like, Scott, we know this. Like I have. Well, it's, yeah. it's just a lot easier
0: to blame sales, Richard.
1: Right. <laughs> But it's it's like I we have sponsors who do stuff like our bonfire session next week that requires registrants, and we have some sponsors who follow up with them, and they're like, oh my god, these are fantastic. We get you know three or four great like legit opportunities every month out of these, and then we have sponsors who are ridiculously huge and well known who they don't even touch it, and they're like, well, and then they want to say, well, we're not sure if it's working. I'm like, well, how many things? And like, we don't know. I'm like, well, then don't tell me it doesn't work. Like, I ha- like. People don't wanna be held accountable is the problem. So that's, that's at least with that level. Um, but I also know that it's part of it, I think too, is that there's an artistic play to the community sponsorship stuff. And the people who are super creative, like the Zoes of the world, who are not like me, who, where I'm not that super creative, like I'm very bullet point, getting into that minutia and same for you, Scott, like it drives you guys crazy she wants to do the creative of let's do this and let's figure this out and move it around and all this. And, you know, I think it's, that's what makes it Zoe so good at it though, is that she gets massively creative. I'm terrible at creativity. Scott, you know, this, like, yeah. you know, I just, so anyway, that's, that's how I'll push back on it.
2: Yeah, I hear that. And I think like, there's a lot of hacks. There's a lot of like, I do a lot of G sheet tracking. I do a lot of, hey, community leader, can I install like a a Zapier integration with a bot to alert me of keywords so I can jump into conversations? Because another thing about the communities is a lot of communities don't want you to like directly sell in the community. There's a lot of rules, which I understand, it would make the communities a nightmare if everybody was just like pitching stuff all the time. Um, But I love when I can have a bot that notifies me of a keyword that Dually is tracking for. And then I can jump into that conversation and offer value. I don't mention our company. I just, hey, solution to your problem could be this. If you ever want to chat further about it, let me know. And then it's a one-on-one conversation. And then I send it to sales. And I'm keeping track of that on a spreadsheet. <laughs>
0: like... Different question for you out of nowhere. What was the moment where you were like, I don't want to do direct sales anymore. I don't really um... want to be a salesperson only.
2: Uh, When my VP told me that I could only be an AE, that was my only next step. They offered me a promotion and I didn't want to close. Not because I don't think closing is a valuable skill. It just wasn't what I wanted to do next. I wanted to start more conversations with more people. Um, So I wasn't against sales. I just didn't like being pigeonholed into one thing.
0: Yeah. And how long had you been in your your prior role before your VP said that to you trying to get a sense of like how early in your career. Yeah.
2: So I was an inbound SDR for eight months, um, got promoted to outbound mid-market BDR. uh, And I was in that role for six months when they approached me with the promotion. And I said, no, thank you. And that's about,
0: that's about right on schedule, Richard. That's like, 14 15 months of SDR yep. kind They're of done. work and then I'm kind of done but in her case she's like no I don't want to be an AE I think I can have more conversations elsewhere right so how do you think now zoe about the career pathing and where one would take you know their roles in in in, in the future right because I don't think it's as uh, as clear cut outside yeah. of sales.
2: I am super grateful for my business development and sales development background. I don't think I would be good at my job had I not learned that. However, I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to explore something else. I've seen SDRs go be great CSMs or great you know, marketers or product people even. And I think it's really like there is no perfect path. And I I actually think companies that force you into a path are going to lose talent because people want a little bit more fluidity with their careers. Um, So I I think it's really just a matter of what are you passionate about? For me in the SDR role, I was so excited about starting conversations out of thin air and I liked writing copy and I liked building relationships. I didn't like handing people off and never talking to them again. So I knew I wanted to do more of the relationship building thing, which is where the partnership side of my role comes in and makes me really happy. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you could go into an AE role. You could go into leadership. You could do something totally different. You could leave sales altogether if you wanted. But um, I think companies that really are like, this is the career path, take it or leave it, are going to lose good people.
1: How do you, you know, aside from engaging in the external communities, right? It may, and, and this may go back to previous roles um, where you're, you're engaging with with surfing sales or Thursday night sales or any other communities. What are the other things that, you know, if someone's thinking about thinking about doing community activism for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. they can also be doing, right? Because I think everybody's rushing to the communities right now. Like all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're over here. Now we're rushing over here. Where's some other stuff? Well, maybe there was some good stuff over here. You know, is there anything that you can think of that you encourage people to do?
2: Like before jumping into community or when they jump into communities that's different?
1: However you want to answer it.
2: Okay. Yeah. um, I think actually being a participant is the best place to start. Like if you jump into a community and you're like, great, I'm going to sponsor, I'm going to get a bunch of ROI out of it, but you don't know the community, you're not going to have a lot of success off the bat because you don't know the people in there. It's kind of like, doing your research and learning your ICP, the community is full of individuals and they're sort of a hive mind within it. Otherwise they wouldn't all be there together.
1: So, so let me ask So then it's fair to say that not every Thursday, but lots of Thursday nights you're on Thursday night sales to be part of the community, not just sponsor the community.
2: Yeah. I mean, Scott, you call me on this if I'm wrong, but I, I think I've only missed one thursday night sales in the last six months
0: yeah. uh she's probably missed less than i have richard let's put it that I way i was
1: gonna i was gonna say scott's gonna pull out his spreadsheet of email addresses and check, like, no, to we didn't sure, check
2: uh, you know
1: <laughs> so what uh so let's talk about this because it's something scott and i've been talking about long before the phrase community came along is you know empowering your sales team to be your community as a leader, right? So how do you guys look at that? Like, how do you encourage your sales team? Do you let them, I mean, I know you've done copy, you know, you write stuff and you do things like, how does Dooley approach it? Or is it, well, it depends on the rep. Like, how do you guys do it?
2: Yeah, so a couple of different things. We as a a company and something that I hope to take with me throughout my career is when there are opportunities to evangelize, we spread it around. We want diversity. So if I'm asked to be on a podcast and I can't make it, or I'm a little too busy. I'm like, Hey, I have an up and coming BDR who would be great at speaking on this topic. Would you be interested in interviewing them? And can we spread it around and empower our, you know, BDRs, AEs to be champions of the brand with their personal brands um, by getting them out. You, that, to, that's
1: what. I'm, so do you teach, you know, now oh, or yeah. in the past, do you teach your reps how to have a personal brand?
2: Yeah. So it's something, uh, I actually just did like a company-wide, uh, talk on this for all of Dooley, me and Camille, our head of content, uh, both are pretty invested in personal branding. And so we did like a LinkedIn 101, how to build your personal brand on LinkedIn for the whole company. Mm-hmm. I also, uh, do it with like new onboarded BDRs as well to coach them in like personal brand, but also intentional social selling that isn't, like slimy. Like the first thing I tell them is like, do not pitch slap people. What
1: isn't? What is intentional social selling that's not slimy even mean?
2: It means not pitch slapping people. And I don't.
1: I don't know what that means. Like I, I like...
2: When when somebody like connects with you and like in their connection message, it's a it's a pitch.
1: <laughs> got it. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Okay. So just doing thought leadership selling is what I'm here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know can you talk about your experience? Can you just be a relatable and approachable person? And can you build relationships? When I was a rep, I used to send a thank you for connecting video to every person who connected with me. And it was an eight second, Hey Zoe, thanks for connecting. Um, you know, if you ever need anything, feel free to reach out looking forward to following along with your content. Have a great day. Maybe I would include something really personal, no pitch, no ask, no anything. I would start engaging on their content. It's a longer play. It's like, I would, I would be talking to that prospect through their LinkedIn comments for, you know, two or three weeks. And then suddenly they post something that's like relevant to the problem that I solve. And they have seen my name and they've seen my face. And then I slide into the DMs and I'm like, Hey, you said you need help with this. We do just that. Like, if it's of interest to you, would love to chat to learn a little bit more about like the problem you're experiencing. And then I had a great success rate with that.
0: Cool. Here's, here's, here's what I like about Zoe's um, brand, if you will, that she's built. And I'm curious if Zoe has done this intentionally or it's just not part of a strategy. Um, a lot of people tell you, like, pick a subject and go deep on this particular subject. And I feel like Zoe just sort of stream of consciously <laughs> quotes whatever the hell is on her mind about all sorts of different things, which I relate to. And and love, and I also just love it because it flies in the face of some conventional wisdom. So, is that? Am I right about that, and or do I have it like all wrong? Is that was that done on purpose?
2: I think it's. I think it's both on purpose and on accident. I think I did it on accident initially. Realized it was what I was doing. People were criticizing it, but I also saw that people were responding to it. And so I was like, do I want to do what everybody's telling me to do? Or do I want to do what I know is working? And so I kind of just leaned into it. And part of that is because I do not feel like a subject matter in just about anything. And I'm learning a lot right now. So I enjoy sharing a little bit about what I'm learning. And it's in a lot of different areas. I imagine I'll niche down, uh, get a little more specific over time as I develop more expertise. But Um, you know, at two and a half years into my career, I graduated in 2019. I am, I'm kind of winging it a little bit, so maybe that maybe that uh surprises people. They're like, oh, Zoe knows what she's talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just talk,
0: (laughs) Richard. She graduated college when I was working at Columbia.
1: Oh my god, she graduated, and I was like, oh, okay, she's only a few (laughs) years older than my son. Um, (laughs) like.
0: <laughs> oh, you just have to allow us to have a moment when you said you finished school in 2019. Right. Like, oh. Wow. Holy I was God.
2: a super yeah. senior. It took me an extra year. I was in a car accident, so I had to take an extra year to finish college. I but yeah,
1: I, I took an extra year because I was lazy. So, well done. Well done.
0: Two and a half years into your career, and you're already on your way. You're doing way better than Richard and I were probably doing two and a half years into, into yes. our career. Yeah. Now let's go back to all these ideas and new businesses and side things and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you mentioned that you don't feel like a subject matter expert in anything yet. What do you think it will take? When will that, what, what will the moment be where you're like, okay, I am actually an expert in this thing. And once you're able to declare that for yourself and for others, Do you think that'll trigger actions on some of these other interests and projects that you have going on or no?
2: Mm, That's a good question. I, you and I have chatted a little bit about kind of the imposter syndrome of it all. And I'm, I'm sure there are moments where I feel a little bit more confident in my expertise in certain areas. I think I get overwhelmed when people bring up the value of years of experience. I'm like, well, again, I graduated two and a half years ago. I don't like
0: have... intimid- intimidated by it or over overwhelmed.
2: Yeah. Like into like intimidated when people are like, Oh, well, you don't, I I'm trying to think uh, before I started at Dually, a bunch of companies were recruiting me and they were making me offers and every single offer came with, well, you weren't the most experienced person on the team, but like, we liked you the best. So we're going to make you this offer, but we're actually going to offer you less than we would have offered somebody who may, who has done this for five years. And so it made me kind of question like, all right, so like, is my value wrapped up in my years? Is it wrapped up in what I can do? I'm not sure. And so for me, kind of experimenting with what can I bring value to people, you know, not through paid business right now. One thing that I love doing and I'll continue to do as long as I possibly can is when a BDR hits me up and asks me about how do I like start posting on LinkedIn? I give them my calendar for 30 minutes. It like, no, nothing in return. I just like do that. And I love having those conversations and chatting through how I can help them. And someday can I turn that into like something else? Probably. But in the meantime, I'm getting a lot of experience coaching people through this Basically, learning on my own, experimenting, writing down what I think works. And then, can I teach somebody else, coach someone else to competency in the same thing? Then I know that it's working. And so I'm kind of like doing that testing phase right now.
1: Does that sound so far? What's your initial response?
2: It's pretty positive, but it also depends on people who actually like, I wonder if it's like an investment thing because I give people this advice for free. They ask me for it and then I tell them what to do. And like, I would say like 20% of people actually take the advice.
1: Oh, ah, so like, listen, you
0: know? people pay Richard and I all the time for advice. Yes. They
1: still don't do it. Right. <laughs> so, but here's my, here's my flip to you, Zoe. Yeah. If you really stopped and looked at it, right. And you said, okay, if only 20% are doing it, what's unique about those 20%? And then you tell the other 80% no. And those 80% are going to be, but wait, I want. And then you go, great. You got to pay me this much money. Okay. So here
2: we go. We, we I think Scott. I think we. I think we
1: found Zoe a couple of side businesses. She doesn't even have to work anymore. Dooley. I know. I know Dooley's going to be excited to hear this part of the episode. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be real happy. I didn't recruit with their employee. I just talked him out of working for them. I
2: just talked about him working all together. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> That's Scott's dream. Scott's dream is to work. <laughs> coach with everyone get,
2: out of companies.
1: <laughs> yes, uh, well, You'd i would mean, surprised. I think she knows me well enough to know that
0: there's some truth in that. Yeah.
1: Yes. I'm sure she does,
0: but I don't want to get in trouble with Dooley. You know, <laughs> change right. the subject, Richard. Change the subject.
1: Oh, you know, what do what do they do? They're not our sponsor. So, <laughs> good, point. Um,
0: good point. Actually,
1: <laughs> uh, maybe
2: they
1: should be. <laughs> Zoe, we're, we're gonna flip it in a second. I want to uh, you know rattle off all of our our sponsors as well, uh, who we would love for Dooley to be a sponsor. Uh, and before you answer the question of things, let let people know what Dooley actually does like the pain that it solves. But while you articulate, think about that and formulate your question for us. Um, I want to thank Vidyard, Reggie, Reprise, Reprise. I don't know which one it is, Scott. You have to tell me um, an outreach for sponsoring us on, on this episode. It's Reprise. Reprise. Like, Febreze. like, like Febreze. Reprise. Right. Okay. So yeah. it's Reprise. So thanks to, to Vidyard and Reggie Reprise and outreach. Um, but Zoe, go ahead and give Dooley a, a shout. Like tell people what Dooley helps them do, what it helps their teams do.
2: Yeah. So in short, Dooley makes Salesforce suck less. If you've ever spent many an hour updating your CRM. Uh, for me, I used to do it on Friday afternoons because it was the thing I wanted to do the least at the end of the week. I also was terrible. I like didn't understand our process to update Salesforce Um, And I did it wrong all the time. And I actually missed out on commissions because of it. This solves that problem. Dooley sits on top of Salesforce, makes it really, really easy to instantly update opportunities, visualize pipeline, and even get real-time call coaching uh, while you're chatting with prospects. So the hope is to accelerate your pipeline, help you close more deals faster with
0: Dooley. Do you think it simplifies Salesforce enough, Richard, that I would be able to use Salesforce?
1: And the problem that it, that's not the problem for you, Scott. The problem is getting the whole thing just turned on. Like if it's anything more than the button. I can't even plug it in. You're
2: like, I, I don't know my password. <laughs> like
1: like I, I need to do an, we, Scott, I wish we could just do an episode of all the times I've had to listen to you complain about your tech problems. Listen, if anybody can figure out
0: how to get this 90 minute sales training off of my phone and somehow <laughs> anywhere else, I will pay you. For your time, everyone who has tried and failed yes, stands as evidence that yeah. this is not easy. I am not alone in my... To, to
1: that point, Scott, yes, you would appreciate a lot of the efficiencies that are built into many things like you yes. and sales yes, However, uh, you know, it's a question of, is it worth the time? Uh, and unless you have somebody to do it, like I do, it won't be worth the time because I couldn't tell you how to do it. I could get it all set up I mean, I could have someone set it up for me, but then it better work. Otherwise, I'll just ignore it. So. so Zoe, enough about Scott and Richard and our own idiosyncrasies. What question do you have for us?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually just going to flip the question uh, Scott asked me, and I'm really curious to hear from both of you. What was the moment the instance or Some of the telltale signs for each of you that made you want to move into consulting or you felt like you had enough expertise in one area to write a book, start a side hustle, do something like that. What were the indicators?
1: You want me to go first or you want to go Scott? Go ahead. Go ahead. So mine, I was pushed into it more than I, or maybe even pulled in. I was pushed because I was pushed out of a company I was at. And I was interviewing all over the place and getting to like the third, fourth or fifth round, but never getting the gig. And then a few months after that, um, someone called and asked if I could help with this problem. And I'm like, sure. And I came up with this, what I thought was a ridiculous number. And they said, yes. I'm like, holy shit. And so I had a gig and it was in Austin and it was ironically someone Scott had introduced me to a year before who I wouldn't, they'd interviewed me and I was like, I can't, my family's not moving to Austin and all this stuff. So I came back and asked for some help. My first week flying home from Austin, I sat down on a plane next to a guy on a Friday night and he's all dressed in jeans and literally, I'm not kidding, suede shoes, like blue suede shoes. And uh, and I'm like, "This gotta be a startup guy. And so I talked to him and we started chatting and, and it turns out it was Nick Meta, who was you know, the CEO of Gainsight back when they had 15 people. And, um, and so all of a sudden I had another client. And so I had two people paying me 30 days each. So I had 60 days of gigs and I was making the same I would have made in six months. So uh, the door had opened. Uh, I picked up the phone. And I called my friend, John Barrows, who I assume you might know from sales training. Um, he gave me some great advice about, you know, it doesn't happen this way. That's not how you become a consultant. It just, you know, you have to work harder. So he's like, go do it. So I built a website. I called Scott, got a ton of advice, what he thought, um, came up with some ideas and, and that's how I, that's how I ended up in it. So it was never intentional. It was never like, Hey, let me do this side hustle thing. Um, and then maybe I'll go be a consultant. So It turns out I'm much better working for myself than other people. I don't I don't play well in the sandbox with others. I might share toys with Scott, but I might spit on them too and throw sand.
2: Oh God. Uh,
0: For for me, I kind of just got tired of busting my ass for years to make other people really rich, and to do not much for me other than collect startup T-shirts in my closet. And after I had done this a few times, I sort of thought, okay, there's not that many people who actually are willing to keep doing this and going back into the fire, so to speak. So I think that I could probably find a way to do this a few more times to really just like make it indisputable that I know what I'm doing and then leverage that knowledge and eventually find a way to go work for myself. And I had kind of, other people as a model for what they're doing with sales training and consulting and things like that, you know, Richard, John, other folks. Um, And so I sort of decided to chip away and do some small stuff. So the book was a small, the first book I wrote was like a small thing to get the name out there, you know, picked up a few small Side kind of consulting gigs and whatnot, and then and then experimented with surf and sales. And so I waited a very long time. You know, arguably I could have left and started this sooner, but I wanted to, like I said, kind of make it indisputable and hopefully have this one big last hurrah. And uh, you know, I think I've managed to do that with the last company I was an operator at, and it has led me to launching my consulting business and not having to go through all sorts of like early struggles. You know, I feel like I started way out in front of where a lot of other people do. Um, So.
2: That's so good. So quick follow-up for the both of you. I know you only said I got one question, but I'm going to parlay it. into Um, for, For the me's of the world, people who are kind of earlier on in their career, right on the cusp of maybe having enough expertise to do something on the side. What is one pitfall to avoid?
1: waiting till later you have so much time in your life to do it now i was just gonna i was literally going to say the opposite like <laughs> trying to do it too soon yeah
0: you now i don't but, but that's me because i'm like i'm a little more risk adverse than you know, richard, meant, richard
1: yeah but know? i yes we had a whole conversation of the things richard will do that scott will never do yeah scott will we never that
0: i am way more risk adverse than richard yeah. at life what,
1: but what i I think we're going to say the same thing we're going to get there is that you have more time to be the creative person to think about the things and dip your toe into something like Scott did versus waiting too long where you may end up having family and you've got other obligations and stuff like you're, you know, you're still young and early in your life and your career that you have more free time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of that though, could be, you just need to cultivate the ideas of okay. Well, I'm going to read four books in the next year about entrepreneurship or something like. It doesn't mean you have to go start something. It just means I think you've got more time to invest in the ideation of creating the idea you want,
0: hmm.
1: and and then if you find something, testing it. So, um, but I'll let Scott go in. So, well,
0: I I think people just are getting the itchy trigger finger a little bit too soon because you're you're not really like an expert yet, but you can make a living on your own. And here's what I mean by that. Like, let's say you stop everything and you go become zoe.com consulting firm, right? You could probably go make six figures. And with respect, as you get older, the significance of that number becomes less and less important as you become more successful in your career. So I didn't want to, and I don't think people should have a goal of like going to run a business where you make 75 to hundred grand. Like, I think if you're going to go into business for yourself, you should have seven figure dreams. Mm. And I don't, so I don't think people have the patience or I worry people don't have the patience to kind of delay going all in until you're like, okay, that's that seven-figure dream is a reality now, um, and so that's the part that I caution. It's like not that you can't go replicate your AE salary, but like, can you can you flip that seventy-five to hundred K freelancing into a million-dollar business one day? If so, more power to you and you're braver than me and you defied me and, and you, and you did it. See, I but think- for me, like I was a chicken, I was a chicken, you know, I waited and waited and waited until it was like a little easier. But-
1: for you. Yeah. But see, I, so knowing Zoe for as little as I know, knowing what she's done. And because I'm a tactical person where Scott's more of an idea person. I could easily see Zoe turn what you do Zoe into a seven figure consulting business. Look at her like, eyes. Like, <laughs> <she> was, like, <laughs> they like bl- popped out of her head like an old, you know, Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> oh, so, um, mm. But I think now that being said, you could do it. I think you get. You'll get a better runway if you waited a little bit more to Scott's point. Like, you know, you've done it well. You've done it right. Um, you've done it in a couple of places. But, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see. So. Yeah. good questions really good really yeah. good so
0: all right zoe thanks so much for spending some time with us we'll thanks see zoe again. we
1: really appreciate it thanks guys